All right. The subliminal message on the front of your bulletin this morning. Did you get it? Be a godly man. Love your wife. Be a godly man. Grow a beard. Okay? So the, there's the subliminal messaging there. I think <laughs> if you can't grow a beard, can't be a godly man. I jokingly said last week to some folks that the men were going to need a hard hat for this morning's sermon. I had you men in mind as I was preparing this text mentally. And the reality is, over the last week, God has used this text to pummel me. It has caused me to reflect upon my own marriage, my own struggles in my marriage. I'm thankful for how God has used it in my life already, and I don't want Him to stop using this simple verse. I personally needed calluses ripped off my own heart, and God has used this verse to do that. And I know that I don't have to tell you, and I don't say it because she's not here this week, but because it's evident in our life of our church, and it's just true, but my wife is simply stellar. Everything that we talked about last week with a biblical wife, she is all of that and more. She gives me pushback when I need pushback. She confronts me when I need to be confronted. She uh, is unimpressed with me at moments when I think I'm particularly great. She, she loves me when I am ugly to her. Even in times when I am not like Jesus and I don't do what this passage says to do, she responds in Christ-like love for me. More often than not, she is the initiator when it comes to confessing sin to one another. And so often when I wrong her, she never has wronged me, yet she comes to me seeking to resolve the problem. She was fantastic when I met her a decade ago in college. She has morphed into the best mother, wife, and servant in the church than I could ever have imagined. And I know that you all know this. But with that said... In the recesses of my own sinful heart, I still struggle in the areas that Paul points out in chapter 3, verse 19 of Colossians. No, I've never punched my wife. I've never body slammed her. But I have treated her in ways in the course of our just about six years of marriage that are unloving. In ways that could definitely be defined by the word harsh or bitter. I know the rest of you men would likely readily admit that you struggle in this area as well. But the standard of love that we are to have for our wives has been set. And the standard is none other than Jesus Himself. It is none other than what Jesus says over in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 when He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. The command to wives that we looked at last week does not stand alone. You notice that Paul does not simply say in verse 18 there, wives, submit to your husband and keep quiet about it. Don't talk to him about anything. Don't nag him about it. It's nothing like that at all. It's it's, wives, submit to your husbands. But then the next verse gives the context for that submission. Love your wives, husband. Love is the context of submission. Men like things to be simple. And Paul says it simply in this verse concerning the task of a husband toward his wife. Simple. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. When you consider what it means to be a man, 
You think of what the world even has to think when you say to the, somebody out in the world who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't know the Word, what do you think a man is? When you say, be a man, what, what, what does that mean to them? What are the kinds of things that maybe uh, unsaved men seek to instill into their children? Or even within the church, when you think of what it means to be a biblical husband or even just simply a godly man, what are the kinds of things that come into your mind? Maybe you think, well, the man is to be the head of the home. He's to be the provider. He's to be the caretaker. The Bible says elsewhere that if a man doesn't provide for his family, he has denied the faith and he's worse than a pagan. He's worse than an infidel. So certainly provision is the task of the husband. But what else? Maybe in provision, you, in, the, in the context of provision, you think of a man of strength. Maybe you think of a self-starter, a go-getter, a man who isn't lazy, somebody who was working very hard. And all of the above would be good answers of what it means to be a godly husband and a godly man. But what would the ultimate answer be? And I think Paul says it here. When you look in the Bible, unlike what we often think of a man being, is what is laid out. The word that should describe a husband is a word that husbands oftentimes have a hard time getting out of their mouth. They're to be loving. They're to be loving. The initial call to a husband from the Apostle Paul is to love. When you see a Christian man loving his wife, you have found a Christian man. We looked at last week at the initial marriage in the Garden of Eden. Adam was made first. Eve was formed from Adam. They're brought together in holy matrimony in that setting of the Garden of Eden. And what a beautiful uh, initial wedding that must have been. But as the Bible goes on, like when, with everything else, and when sin comes into the world, you see nothing but decimation. Sin creeps into every institution, every act, every thought, every deed, and it just starts decimating everything. And the marriage relationship is certainly affected by sin itself. So sin enters the world. Adam failed to lead his wife in the garden. You remember that when the snake comes and begins to tempt Eve, the responsibility of Adam would say, absolutely not, snake. Crush the snake. Get rid of the snake and lead his wife well. And he totally failed to do it. And so they sinned together in the Garden of Eden. And as the result of the sin, the marriage relationship is immediately felt with it. You flip only a few pages into the Bible and you begin to see a further distortion of marriage and what was intended. Only a few chapters into the Bible, you see polygamy. Not God's intention. man named Lamech takes two wives and he perverts marriage. You continue to go through Genesis, Genesis alone and you begin to see all kinds of sin in regard to sexual sin, in regard to, even to the context of marriage uh, and relationship. You see uh, adultery, you see incest, you see prostitution, homosexuality, rape, all of these kinds of things, all deviant from God's intention just in the first book of the Bible. So as you begin reading your Bibles... In what feels like a time warp speed, and really the first 10 chapters or so in your Bible cover about a thousand years of history. It just blips right by. You go from a perfect marriage between a husband and a wife to seeing the absolute bottom fallout of the whole entire thing. The law is written by Moses. Uh, You see that within the Pentateuch, the laws that had to be written about who to marry, about if marriages could end. And then as you continue going through your Bible, you begin to see that marriages certainly are crumbling all over the place. Sin is just all over the place. There's polygamy everywhere within the Bible. And you begin to see, though, there's some certain points of clarity in regard to what marriage should look like. Specifically, in the context of the relationship of God and Israel. 
And so some of you who know your Bibles, you remember the book of Hosea, right? And God calls Hosea and he goes and he marries a prostitute, right? And he's called to be faithful to this woman, despite the fact that she is unfaithful to him. God calls her and says, go and be faithful to this woman. And this is a great display that, of the fact that although Israel was unfaithful to God, God was going to be faithful to Israel. And then this idea carries right over into the, book of, into the New Testament in the book of Ephesians specifically, which is where we ended the sermon last week. You think of the relationship, not necessarily of God and Israel, but it's specified into the relationship even of Jesus and the church, where it says that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for the church. He loved the church so much that he paid the ultimate price for his bride. He gave her himself. There was nothing more that he could do. There was nothing more that he could give. He gave himself. And so this is the best picture, husbands. If you're thinking... I need something in the Bible to run to in order to see a good example of a marriage. Look at the example of Jesus and his church. He is the most vivid display, the most perfect display of what it would mean to be a good and godly husband. Jesus never married while he was on earth. And I know that you know that. But one day, the bride and the groom will come together in perfect uh, and, and beauty for all of eternity. And husbands, we are to model ourselves after the great groom Jesus. That he is our example. He is the perfect example of a husband. Specifically in relation to what he does for us. In that he loves us. I mention it often. But love has often fallen on hard times in the world today. There is so much confusion as to what love actually is. You ask a hundred people. You might get a hundred different answers. But to cut through all of it. Here for the sake of this sermon, we need to dispose of all the worldly notions of love that come to our mind and set our eyes on the love of Christ and the example of what His love is. When Paul tells husbands to love their wives, he is doing nothing less than calling them to be like Jesus. Our culture is obsessed with the idea of loving ourselves, isn't it? It's all about me. It is all about number one. It is all about my happiness before everyone else's happiness. Everybody else comes second. Everybody else is less supreme. Love isn't about or for another person. Love is for me and for my happiness. And so that's why when I fall, fall out of love with you and I am no longer happy, that means I dissolve this thing and I move on to find something that gives me more happiness. And I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't think this way. I'm glad that he loved us and came for us and sacrificed for us. I'm glad that God loved us and gave us his only son. This is the picture of love for a husband, for a wife, that it is sacrificial. Ours is a love that is so often superficial. And his was a love that was sacrificial. And men, we are called to this. We are called to love our wives. The day that you said I do was the day that your buddies were no longer the priority. The day that you said I do was when your hobbies took a back seat. The day you said I do was the day that you died to yourself. I've been married for six years. I know that's impressive uh, in terms of some of the context of your relationship. Like, oh, six years, what a pup, right? But six years of marriage. And I remember the honeymoon, quite, honeymoon phase quite well uh, because it was not that long ago. But ironically enough, we came to Maine for our honeymoon and everything was so rosy. The relationship seemed easy. I I remember thinking to myself how easy marriage was, and I was a couple days into it. But it was just the easiest thing in the world. But guys, 
Loving your wife might have been easy in the honeymoon phase, but whether you're newly married or you've been married for 50 years, the call to you is the same. Husbands, love your wife. It doesn't matter how easy it is. It just matters that you obey. Love your wife. It doesn't matter if in this moment right now, if you were being honest with yourself before God, if you would say, I don't feel like I'm in love with her. It doesn't matter if you think your wife did something against you. It doesn't matter how busy your schedule you have or how many kids you have that are taking up the time away from the marriage. You be the man, you be the leader, and you pursue the wife that God has given to you. You love your wife. And let me slip this in here. Sometimes people will say, well, I just don't know if I married the right person. Well, if you're sitting with her or him today, look next to you. That's the one God wanted you to marry because you're married to them, okay? So never get that kind of, I just don't know if I married the right person. I can promise you, you did. You got the ring on your finger. God wanted you to marry them. And as the husband in that relationship and the one who has been called to lead in the relationship, you are called to love her like Jesus loves the church. We need to get something straight. That leading well in marriage is going to be the result of following well. You, as the husband, leading well in marriage is going to be the result of following well. In other words, you will lead your wife well when you are following Christ well. If you are not following Christ well, you will not lead your wife well. You lead your wife by following the capital L leader. You lead your wife by taking the brunt of Satan's attacks on your marriage. You lead your wife by holding her hand and walking her to the cross. You lead her by being the lead repenter and confessor of sin in the relationship. It is an ungodly man who will not bring his wife to Jesus. It is an ungodly man who doesn't lead her in repentance and forgiveness. It's an ungodly man who leaves the spiritual stuff to his wife, including the raising of the children on the spiritual side of things to his wife. It is an ungodly man who doesn't bear the brunt of Satan's attacks. It is up to you guys. Because to do all of that, to to leave all of this up to your wife and to leave her with that hole and to leave her without that leadership toward Jesus, you are failing. To put your wife in a position where she is carrying the family because of your laziness and your apathy is not what is intended. A godly husband is constantly asking himself, how can I love my wife? How can I love my wife today? How can I love her with the hardship that we have going on right now? How can I love her when the kids are just being horrific in this season of time? The question should always be going through your head every day. How can I love my wife? And maybe an easy point of application would simply be the ride home from work. I don't have a ride home from work. It's pretty short from here to there. (laughs) But the best thing I could do on that walk home or when I know the girls are coming home is to say, how can I love them? Yeah, I've worked my day. I've worked a lot today. It was a particularly stressful day. But you know what? They've had it too. It was hard for them too. And you say to yourself, how can I love her? She had a hard day at work too. Or she had the kids too. Or whatever it is. One commentator said this, a Christian husband is to care for his wife with the same devotion that he naturally manifests as he cares for himself. Even more so, since his self-sacrificing love causes him to put her first. He he is putting her first within the relationship. This is the result of his self-sacrificial love. How can I love my wife today? 
So we're called to do this. We're called to put our wives first. We're called to sacrifice them. We're called to put their needs above our own needs. Again, there's no qualifier here. It's simply husbands love your wives. It doesn't say husbands love your wives when it's convenient for you. Or love them when they love you back. Or love them when they do something for you. It's just very simply stated, husbands love your wives. But what about the second part of the verse? Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Now, why do you think that Paul has to tell the men to not be harsh with their wives? Because the tendency of men is to be harsh with their wives. Other translations say, don't be bitter with your wife. I think the idea is that we don't act in a way that is consistent with bitterness toward our wives, which would certainly be acting in a way that is harsh toward them. Bitterness toward our wives will lead to harsh actions. And I think Paul is hitting something in regard to the tendency of men to be harsh with their wives as a result of inward bitterness. And I want to go down a very particular road of application because I'm not sure I've even necessarily touched on this over the years. I don't think I have actually. But there are certainly lesser ways in which we can be harsh with our wives. Certain things that we can do. We can get underneath her skin. We can be passive-aggressive consistently or whatever it is, bringing things up from the past, just purposefully bringing up things in regard to bitterness and in regard to just Frank being a jerk to her. I can tell you this, men, that if you're harsh with your wife, you are not a godly husband. You are a bully. You are a bully. You are not imitating Christ. You're imitating Satan. Is Jesus ever harsh to his bride? No. But Satan is harsh to the bride. You husbands have the Christ-reflecting responsibility to love your wife and to not be harsh with her in any way whatsoever. And there are so many things that can fall under the umbrella of harshness. So many things that could just fall under this, this the, the, again, this umbrella in regard to being harsh. And let me fill in some of the gaps for you because this is the road of application I want to go down. Certainly, a few implications could be this. Love your wives and don't abuse them physically. Man, if you're taking your hand to your wife, that is horrific. Love your wives and don't abuse them emotionally. Beating them over the head with things from the past or refusing to emote, or refusing to involve yourself in her life, or abusing her mentally or, or verbally, and just the words that you use are just vicious and, and, and poisonous to your wife. Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. The call is to love her. And if you are harsh with your wife in any way at all, if you act out in bitterness toward them, you have serious repenting to do. Men are notorious for throwing their weight around and speaking their mind and abdicating roles and refusing to emote and just general harshness. It's absolutely no wonder that this is a command from the Apostle Paul that apparently men have been struggling with for a long, long time. There's a lot to what I'm about to say, but so often men resort to forms of abuse to get their way because they have not earned the respect to go about things the right way. I haven't earned the respect to, to lead in this relationship the way God would have. And so I'm just going to sit back here. I'm not going to do the hard work to get there. I'm just going to abuse or force or push my way into that area that I want to go. 
Many men want their wife to submit like Jesus, or the church submits to Jesus, but they are totally unwilling to love their wives in a way that Jesus loves the church. They refuse to quit being harsh with their wife. And so they have not earned their wife's respect. They have not done that hard work of loving their wives the correct way and that Jesus loves the church. And so when their wife doesn't respond, if their wife doesn't follow the leadership, if their wife doesn't do what they hope or function as the wife they think they should, the men then resort to some sort of abuse in order to twist their wife into submission. And if that is you, you are not a godly husband because a godly husband loves his wife and leads by following after the leader. I said this last week, but you notice that after Paul addresses the wives and says to submit to their husbands, he doesn't turn to the men and say, now keep her in line or keep her in submission. He says, right after he says, submit, wives, he says, husbands, love her. Don't be harsh with her. So often the opposite of how we treat our wives. And guys, regardless, of if your wife chooses to obey the Lord in the area of submission, it doesn't matter. You are to love her no matter what. But there is an application for the wives in this too. That if you are a wife here today, you have the responsibility to submit to a godly and loving husband that God has given to you. But then the question comes up, what if he isn't a a loving husband? What if he is a harsh man? What if we would all be shocked if we heard what your husband did to you at home? If you're suffering from some kind of abuse, some kind of domineering dictator of a husband who is abusing you in some fashion and he's refusing to love you as a godly man, husband should, I would implore you to come to your leadership of the church that we can love you in this. If you're in a relationship with a harsh husband, it's important for you to know that if your husband is being harsh with you and he's refusing to repent, then please come to your elders who will confront your husband over his sin who will address it and frankly if there were legal steps we would help bring that process along we would lovingly be with you and stand with you against this kind of sin and call him to repentance there shouldn't be a woman in our fellowship who in the loneliness of abuse feels like that's just the way it has to be there shouldn't be a woman here who would say I'm just alone in this thing Your leadership is here. Your church is here. We will love you. One author said, The sinful tendency of fallen men is to dominate their wives by brute force. Even some Christian men are guilty of being too aggressive with their authority in the home. But dictatorial despots and heavy-handed husbands are antithetical to the pattern of headship that Christ gives us. Brothers, if you are struggling in harshness towards your wife, and your leadership comes in the form of domination rather than self-sacrificing love, repent before the Lord and seek help. It is available to you. There is hope for you. There is hope that you would live a godly life. There is hope in the gospel that through the work of Jesus, the application of the Spirit to you, that if you're struggling in this era, there is great hope. But last week and this week, we've handled... A couple of small but heavy verses. Submission on the part of the wife and love on the part of the husband. But what about bringing those two things together? A marriage without these components and the active choice of submission on the part of the wife and the active choice of sacrificial love on the part of the husband is a marriage that will, at minimum, have a lot of friction if those things are not within it. Both parties need to keep up their end of the bargain, if you will, in the relationship if it's going to thrive. 
Submission in the context of marriage is, is, is where there is a, a self, or excuse me, submission in the context of a marriage where there is a selfish, self-interested man is going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly 100% of the time. But submission in the context of a marriage where the man patterns himself after the self-sacrificial love of Jesus, that is going to be a beautiful marriage. That is going to be a beautiful picture of the gospel. That is going to be a picture of Jesus and the church. Where the husband loves his wife all of the time. Where the husband is constantly dying to himself. That he's putting her first. That he leads her in a way that is not self-interested. That is an incredible marriage to watch. That a man who has put her first... That's an easy man to submit to because she knows she's first in his earthly life. So in these two verses, we have the beautiful shape that God desires for a marriage. You have a husband and a wife. The man leads in the relationship as he follows the true leader and the wife is a helper to him. She is his partner. The woman chooses to submit herself to her own husband and the husband sacrificially loves his own wife. And when these two things come together, you have that picture of the gospel. And when other people see your relationship, And they see the relationship of Christ and the church, even though they don't know they're seeing it, right? You can explain it to them and be a true reflection of the gospel. And I want to close with a few applications and an illustration. But wives, if you have a husband who loves you, and you think of him and he loves you with the kind of self-sacrificing love that Jesus has for the church, thank God. Get on your knees and thank God for a man who who loves you. Thank God for a man who loves the Lord, who desires to follow him. You have been given an incredible gift. Praise the Lord for his gift to you. For some of you ladies, maybe you've sat here the whole time pumped that your husband was finally getting a sermon directed right at him. But this sermon is not meant to give you a silver bullet to shoot at him when he messes up. Well, didn't you hear what the pastor said? You know, you're leaving church, you're on your way home. He says, and didn't you hear what the pastor said? You're supposed to love me like Jesus. That's not that. The truth is, and I say this when I do weddings, when the cute little couple is standing there about to take their vows, it's all butterflies and rainbows in that moment. But the truth is, and all of you who have been married, you know this, but the husband is going to fail. Husbands are going to fail. And he needs you. He needs you, wife. He needs you to help him, to, to uphold him in prayer, to love on him, to be the helper, the faithful helper, despite his failings. And husbands, we, and I mean, I mean we, we have some serious repenting to do before God and before our wives. And I would, I would ask you, I, a simple thing that I did, you don't have to do it, but a simple thing that I did this week is I just started writing things down. An apology to my wife. I can think of doing this specifically to you. I did this. I did this. I said this. I generally act in this way to you. I'm sorry. I, just writing it down. We have some serious repenting to do to our wives and to our Lord. We are needing to love our wives. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of a Bible college and seminary some years ago uh, until his wife got Alzheimer's. He then made the choice to resign his post as the president of this Bible college and seminary so that he could care for his wife. And I found his story to be uh, so life-giving and powerful and beautiful in regard to the relationship that Jesus and the church have. And he wrote a piece for Christianity Today, and I'm going to kind of chop it up a little bit. It was too long to read here, but if you want the whole thing, I can send it to you. But this is what he said. 
He said this at the time about his wife. Muriel cannot speak in sentences now, only in phrases and words, and often words that make little sense. No, when she means yes, for example. But she can say one sentence, and she says it often. I love you. She not only says it, she acts it. The board of the seminary arranged for a companion to stay in our home so I could go daily to the office. During those two years, it became increasingly difficult to keep Muriel home. As soon as I left, she would take out after me. With me, she was content. Without me, she was distressed, sometimes terror-stricken. The walk to school is a mile-round trip. She would make that trip as many as ten times a day. Sometimes at night, when I helped her undress, I found bloody feet. I wish I loved God like that, desperate to be near him at all times. Thus she teaches me day by day. Robertson goes on. As she needed more and more of me, I wrestled daily with the question of who gets me full-time, Muriel or Columbia Bible College and Seminary. When the time came, the decision was firm. It took no great calculation. It was a matter of integrity. Had I not promised 42 years before, in sickness and in health, till death do us part? This was no grim duty to which I was stoically resigned, however. It was only fair. She had, after all, cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn. And such a partner she was. If I took care of her for 40 years, I would never be out of her debt. I had been startled by the response to the announcement of my resignation. Husbands and wives renew their marriage vows. Pastors tell the story to their congregations. It was a mystery to me until, I, until a distinguished oncologist who lives constantly with dying people told me, almost all women stand by their men. Very few men stand by their women. Perhaps people sensed this contemporary tragedy and somehow were helped by the simple choice I considered the only option. It is all more than keeping promises and being fair, however. As I watch her brave descent into oblivion, Muriel is the joy of my life. Daily I discern new manifestations of the kind of person she is, the wife I always loved. I also see fresh manifestations of God's love, the God that I long to love more fully. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this verse. I thank you for the example that we have and can constantly reflect and look at in Christ and the church. In Christ, you have never been harsh with us. You have been the full opposite. You have loved us. You sacrificed yourself for us. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us husbands to reflect on that and to look toward that as our example. So many of us have experienced broken homes, dreams shattered as a result of sin. And God, I pray that that won't be the case in the marriages that are reflected here today. For those that are maybe struggling, we pray that you'll bolster them. For those that maybe feel strong, but you know of a coming time of trial for them, I pray that you'll keep them strong and from the evil one. Lord, we know that Satan loves to see the decimation of Christian marriages, and I pray that you'll make the ones that make up our assembly strong. Lord, help us husbands specifically to love our wives and to not be harsh. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right. Will you stand with me as we sing a final song?